I will just put out a disclaimer right off the bat. I haven't seen Polite Society yet because it's only no. playing in one theater, which is quite far out. So I haven't made a trek yet to see it, and I'm hoping it expands. But the trailer that I saw really did intrigue me quite a bit from costume to cinematography, just to the concept itself. And, um, you know, really wanted to chat with you uh, about that film and uh, kind of, you know, get your side of things and how you enjoyed working on it. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's, I'm trying to, I wish I knew how to darken the video, whatever. Zoom. Well, you, you look um, fine. You look okay. okay. Cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah. it seems a little hot. Um, thank you. I mean, I love the movie so much. It's like, you know, I always talk about the movie being something I would have wanted when I was a teenage girl. And so it's so fulfilling to make a movie that I, I love now, but I really would have loved then. <laughs> and Nida is just the best person to collaborate with, you know, reading the script. I guess, are, have we started? Yeah, it started from the very beginning. So we're, Oh, we're no. <laughs> okay, we started. We're, we're um, good. We're good. No, I mean, uh, one of the producers I had worked with previously, Olivier Campmeyer, on yeah. the miseducation of Cameron Post. Mm -hmm. And he thought of me for this film and sent me the script. And I, it was just such a rare case where I read the script laughed from beginning to end thought it was totally original something i hadn't seen with characters i didn't know and i just kind of begged to do the movie and you know some movies some movies when you meet on them you're sort of very anxious about whether or not you'll get them and you'd be very upset if you didn't get them and this was just one where i was like well i'd be very upset if i didn't get this but I just want this film to succeed and to exist in such a serious way. Like I felt very attached to what it meant for young women. Um, Beautiful. And, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's like I said, the concept is fantastic. We'll come back to polite society. I want to start off with your career. Okay. How did you get, get into the art of cinema and being a cinematographer in the world of films? I grew up in Los Angeles, um, surrounded by movies. I mm. love, I grew up loving movies. I think when I decided to go to film school, I really wanted to leave LA. I wasn't interested in the, any of the Los Angeles schools or what they were kind of doing. And I found this weird, strange program at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York, um, that really had an emphasis on film-based teaching and experimental film. And I just loved this area. It was very natural, very different from where I grew up. But I think when I went to film school, I didn't really understand all, all the job breakdowns. I just knew I wanted to make films. And yeah. very quickly I realized I loved the image making process more. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, very, very early on, I'd make my own experimental films and people would ask me to shoot their projects. And I just sort of fell in and fell in love with what being a DP meant, what being a cinematographer meant. And I love making, making images, telling stories and 
collaborating with directors to get their vision out. Um, and that I think has kind of always been my strong suit as a collaborator and why I make films, why I love telling stories, but it also, you know, I'm not necessarily what I would call a traditional cinematographer in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think I'm very story-based. My work kind of extends in many different directions. My interests extend in many different directions. I'll do comedy, I'll do serious. I kind of can swing left and right depending on where my interests lie at that given moment. And polite society is something that, you know, I am a black belt in karate and oh, Apatito specifically. And I'd always wanted to do a martial arts movie, which I think a lot of people wouldn't have necessarily pegged me to do. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, beautiful. I mean, that's how I kind of got started. I think again, from what I've, I, now that you mentioned your black belt, the thing with karate is, you know, my, my kids, they went to like yellow or green belt, something like that. And then COVID happened and it just kind of stopped. The whole thing with karate is and the art of cinema is that the way, at least from what I saw, you captured it, 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 you need to understand it in order to capture it. I, I genuinely feel that because it's, it's just one of those things like, you know, you need to understand how, uh, a dish is made in the kitchen like as a chef or you know whatever you're making as opposed to it just adds to it and I and I think that's something I notice in the trailer now more after you mentioned that which you know I think did I'm sure it did a lot of benefit to the film I I believe that as well it's like I shot for uh, my friend Olivia Newman her film First Match many years ago uh, and it was about a teenage girl who joins a wrestling team, like a high school wrestling team. And, you know, I played a lot of sports. I know a lot of sports, but I really had no concept of what high school wrestling meant. I had no concept of what the scoring was. And I basically took wrestling classes with the lead actress so that I can understand what it meant, what the moves meant, you know, get sort of into the intricacies. Because I do think as a cinematographer, you are alerting people for what to look out for, for what to look at. And you have to conceptually understand what it is that people are looking at in order to guide them correctly. So, you know, I, I do believe that. <laughs> no, no, for sure. And what was... What inspired you to get into film? Was it a movie that you saw or was it, I mean, I know you were in LA, you're surrounded by nothing but, you know, film and entertainment, film. but was there a particular moment in life that ignited that fire? I always love films. Uh, he sort of attributed, I blew out my knee in high school. I tore my ACL and my meniscus and maybe partial MCL tear. And I was somebody who was playing soccer seven days a week. I was going to practice four or five times a week. And my life was really built around the schedule. And I blew out my knee probably when I was 16 years old. And I had this very deep change of heart where I saw my body as being incredibly fragile I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm not going to play professional soccer. I'm not that good at soccer. <laughs> and uh, 
I kind of adjusted there. I still played. I mean, I still, yeah. you know, played rec soccer with men during college. I played after college. But in that moment, I look back at 16-year-old Ashley and I kind of applaud her for understanding that this was not a life to work towards. I wasn't that good. And it was in that time off where I'd really just kind of been very athletic, very sports-based. And suddenly I couldn't play sports for about five months. I was really grounded (laughs) in a very serious way. And it was during that time period where I adjusted my focus. And that's when I was like, oh, I guess you... I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know what I thought before, but I was like, Oh, people make money making films. You can be crew crew made more sense to me. All these things kind of made more sense. And I started wanting to make films then. And so I'd always been a film lover. You know, my dad showed me Kubrick films, maybe possibly way too young. And (laughs) you know, I, I'd go see the art films at my local cinema. I was always really interested in film, sure. but it was during that injury that I start. I realized that you could make films and that could be a path that you go towards. And that's when I started looking at film schools, when I started making my own little films. Okay. Um, yeah, so that injury, I think, was really life-changing. You know, that's, that's a testament to your uh, mindset because a lot of times people when they really like something or love something and they have a vision and something stops them, you know, the things, two things can happen. One is very likely that you completely go on the downside of things. Like, you know, you fall into that mindset that life sucks and what am I going to do? And you stay in that mode, you know, in a in circle for a long time, but you took it as an opportunity, which is, which is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're down on something that you absolutely loved. So at at the age of 16, you said you realized that, right? That's quite mature. Kudos to you. Yeah, I am impressed with myself for having the wherewithal to to say, you're not that good. (laughs) Why don't you just now and not waste? Because I'm sure I could have gone to play somewhere in college. It wouldn't have been a good school, you know. But I I did just adjust very quickly. Yeah. Cool. And... Uh, when when you started making films, were you did you start on digital or were you ever making on sixteen millimeter or eight millimeter? In high school, I'd shoot on I'd sh- I'd make little shorts on you know a handy cam, whatever. What the Bolex camera sixteen millimeter? Well, no. I once I got to college, so Ithaca College taught on film, so you learn to make movies on a Bolex. Right. Every film class was shot on film. I think they did at some point get a red camera. There was the HVX 200. camera that was a big deal, kind of the first HD. And I think we had one of them that you could rent out. Yeah. And it was very serious to use the cards. But I really stuck to film. And, you know, I learned to cut on film. I learned to process film. I... Again, I studied experimental film, so I do hand processing. I would do darkroom exposure tests. I I do a lot of film based experimentation, and you know, I hand cut my own film for my thesis. I did soundtrack. I was very, and I think I really did not understand an alchemical process prior to 
going to film school, it just hadn't crossed my mind how people made celluloid and developed film. It it wasn't yeah. something that I had thought about. And then suddenly once I understood how light played a role in celluloid, how all of these, how processing film, how temperature, how, you know, pushing and pulling stops affected the look of things. I really leaned into that and did it myself a lot and really wanted to kind of understand light on celluloid in such a specific way. Um, so I was very, and then I became incredibly film-based. To this day, the only camera I own is a Bolex, so. Nice. Yeah, no, it, it is it is a science. And, you know, I, I, I was envisioned when I was getting into film was, you know, cinematography and director is like one job. You know, you see behind the scenes like Spielberg or, other directors who work sort of on camera. And then when I took a couple of courses in film school, um, I, 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 mean, I realized that I wanted to be a director, but cinematography was something I wish we had this professor, all respect to him, he was 96 years old. And he, the, the way the course was, it was like a 90% test, multiple choice, 20 questions, and 10% was participation. And I didn't learn anything, I mean, as I, as I would have liked to learn. Everything else I learned on my own, you know, just going through cameras and, you know, self-taught kind of thing. But I wish I had a better professor who would teach me at least some of the basics, technica technicality. But it is a science. It is such a science, um, you know, cinematography. And people still feel to this day, it's, now even it's even more with phones, you know, it's just grab up and shoot. And that's not what it is. Yeah, I think I really, again, I, I owe a lot to my experimental education and a lot of my professors, yeah. you know, we were in Ithaca, New York. So it wasn't like a lot of my friends who went to LA film schools, you know, you kind of mm -hmm. had gear, you had access to a lot of gear. And in Ithaca, bless the school, but, you know, we didn't have all the big lights. We didn't have everything. It was much more do-it-yourself which I think really benefited me when I graduated, you know, I graduated college at a time where DSLRs had just started coming out and there was sort of this revolution and HD cameras were becoming more yeah. consumer grade. And there was really this push to do really hyper, like extremely low budget films. So a lot of my first features with somebody like Josephine Decker were shot on DSLRs and my pitch as a collaborator was really, I'm a one, I'm a one person show. I can light, I can grip, you know, you give me whatever and I can make it kind of look good. I was fine working on DSLRs. I didn't need gear. And that was sort of how I got my start. And my first bunch of features, you know, Josephine's first two movies, you know, I did, almost alone i had a little bit of crew on the second one but they weren't it's not like i had a gaffer or grip it was me setting up lights on stands and also pulling my own focus and i kind of had hands to help me but that greatly benefited me not sure. being such a gear snob to begin with yeah and that's important right because i think a lot of people i mean i, I will admit it like maybe um, 10 years ago when DSLRs came out 
And uh, I think until 2013, I was very much into gear. And then I realized it was such a, you know, you just kind of phase out of it that how significantly less important that is. Because the less you have, the more this works. Otherwise, you're all reliant you know, on the equipment and stuff. Well, that's what I, that's why I love speaking to students and kids in college. Cause I'm like, this is, this is your ground yeah. to fail safely, to safely fail. And having better gear doesn't make you a better filmmaker. No. And it's really, you know, I think, you know, if I look at my career, if I look at, I really lucked out. I got to, I, I was very young when I got to start shooting features and I've sort of grown into a different DP than I was when I first began. Yeah. But I look back and I'm sort of very proud that I wasn't limited by what I had access to. It was sort of always, if you cut off my left hand, what, what can I still do with my right? And I had a very positive attitude. And that's why I love, again, why I love talking to students because I'm like it's about perspective. It's about what you bring to the table. It's about your eye. It's about what you have to say. And that is so much more important. People will get through what it looks like as long as your perspective is strong. Yes, we love beautiful images, but especially with phones now, I always say a beautiful image is the cheapest thing you can make. It's the mm. easiest thing. There are so many beautiful images out there. So you better be saying something with them. You better be challenging people with them because just making beautiful like that's a commercial and making a beautiful commercial is pretty easy <laughs> i always call it digestible making a digestible image is really simple so it, you have to be searching for something else yeah and i think we all fall victim to that on and off here and there not to the gear per se but more so we always a lot of us, I would say, underestimate our own point of view because we hear it over and over again in our brain. So we feel that it's not that significant. But when you sit down with someone who doesn't know you and they hear your story and they get so fascinated and you're like, really? Is it that significant? Like, you know, and and I think that's what people need to do more. I, I, I've learned that, too, over time is that there's so many things that I would, you know, stories or whatever I have. I will talk to somebody and I'll be like, oh, it's just okay, whatever. And then they'll be like, wow, I'm like, okay. You know, that's it. And I think that's what people need to do more is to tell stories to others verbally before they even get on camera because we always doubt ourselves. Well, it's why diversity is important. And I don't say diversity in some, you know, there was a moment where it's like, we hired a woman DP. This is diversity. And I'm like, that is not diversity no, it's not no. actually one person it's it's all encompassing it's changing how we finance things it's changing power structures it's changing the way people speak to each other and said it's changing all of these things and it's why it's so important that we need other storytellers because you don't get the full spectrum of what storytelling sure. means by hearing the same voices told the same ways over and over again yeah. And I and I, I I completely agree with it. But I think also with that messaging now, uh, what is sort of happening, at least what I see is that the element of diversity and all that stuff is is become so such a common word that 
it's being done for the sake of being done instead of anything else. And I think that's even worse than not doing it, in my opinion. Um, you know, you have you, there has to be a purpose behind it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's not again, it's not taking one person and waving at everyone and saying, look at how diverse we are. Yeah. Like, it's so much more complicated than that. And, you know. Yeah, right. I it is a very complicated thing. And I, you know, that's why I love Nida so much. It's like to watch her career kind of take off on her own terms and really, you know, when she made We Are Lady Parts, it's just no one had seen a show like that. No one had seen a voice like that. And she was really kind of ushered in and mentored up to a place where she can make polite society and succeed in making polite society. Because I think that there is a version of this film that could have happened earlier that wouldn't have been the fullest version. And so it's cool to kind of see that time and experience and everything grow into her being capable of making the movie that she wanted to make. Sure. Speaking of polite society, um, what was the first day like? Do you remember? What was the first day? Oh, it doesn't have. It doesn't have to be what shot did you do. It just even, you know, on the set and meeting or talking to anybody or the you know Nida or anybody else well it's a movie with so much style and so many different styles and so many different genres so a lot of our prep had been really defining what kind of movie we were making and sort of what we were in conversation with what styles what genres what filmmakers we were in conversation with and understanding that Yes, those were reference points, but at the end of the day, we were making a movie about a teenage girl done in our own way, in our own sort of DIY handmade way. And so it was the front, front, the entire creative team was just really fantastic to collaborate with. And the first day we shot basically in like the attic set where the you haven't seen the movie, but where the yeah. girls sort of plan and plot all these things and our production designer, Simon Walker and uh, costume designer, PC Williams, you know, they just designed these full lived in spaces and this wardrobe for these girls that just spoke so much about their character. And it was a really, you know, first days are always kind of scary because <laughs> you're suddenly... Yeah not in the abstract anymore all of your ideas that were abstract concepts become very real on day one and everyone's (laughs) finding their characters they're finding their boundaries you're i'm working with an entirely new crew in england so i remember it being really fun though it was a very playful atmosphere and the way the first ad claire audrey designed the schedule it really gave us it was really based around the three friends and it was a lot of scenes on stage with the three friends so that they could kind of build their level of comfort together and have that friendship be a big groundwork for like laying the base of Rhea's journey. Um, So yeah, it was, you know, you're just, you're also, you know, I hadn't worked with Nida before, so it was like us finding our own boundaries with each other, finding how you work. I always say, 
you know, you never know how somebody is until you actually get on set with them. <laughs> and then you see them and to watch her work was just such a pleasure. She's so much fun. She's so funny herself. And to watch her talk with the girls and kind of, you know, block with them and yeah. work through ideas. It was just really exciting. It was a very, the whole shoot was a very fertile playground, I think, for all the key creatives to really succeed. And yeah, yeah day one, I just remember being like, this is going to be a fun shoot. This is going to be a good group and a fun okay. shoot. Yeah, working, you know, with somebody on the set for the first time is pretty much the same thing as when you move in with someone. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you don't know how it's going to pan out uh, when you're in the same environment more often than not. And uh, in terms of the color palette or the, the visual style or the lighting and everything, you and Nida went back and forth about it. Like, did she give you any kind of visual example of what she was going for or you offered some what was there anything like that i think you know we had film references in our heads you know i think there were bollywood references there was tarantino references uh obviously the matrix and like crouching tiger you know we kind of had all these references mm -hmm. dancing around but done in our own way. And I think it really is a testament, you know, to Simon and PC's vision. We knew that they were going to bring so much color and energy and all the costumes were super colorful and loud. The sets were going to be really loud and colorful and lush and saturated. So for me, you know, I didn't want the visuals to overtake the story. Yeah. So it was really about, okay, how do I tell the story in this really loud way, but keep it slightly naturalistic? So our approach to lighting was always kind of motivated lighting sources, realistic lighting sources. It wasn't about adding neons everywhere. You know, we wanted to, it to ground itself because at the end of the day, again, it's like a teenage girl's story. And if you can't emotionally connect to her because the visuals are too are yelling at you, then it'll never play the emotional subtext. So yeah. I really wanted my work to kind of be grounding and, you know, it can be playful. There's a lot of movement in the film. There's a lot of the cameras constantly moving, but I really wanted the cinematography to highlight mm. this, these beautiful sets and highlight these beautiful costumes without also trying to battle them. You know, sense. when I first saw the trailer, uh, I had no idea about this film. I don't know how I came across it a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. And when I when I started playing, the first thing that I remembered, realized what I got the feeling of. I don't know if you've seen Bended Like Beckham. Yeah. Uh, okay. Of course. That's, right. That That's the first thought process I had. Then when the whole, you know, um, martial arts started, it was Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon. Because the only difference with, between Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon from what I saw in the trailer was that this was a little bit more on the humorous side, you know, versus Crouching Tiger. But it de delivered the exact same feeling to me. And I remember when Crouching Tiger came out, I think it's been, what, over 20 years now. I mean, it just created this storm. I, I still remember that. 
And I really hope that Polite Society, I think it hasn't expanded to North America as much. I think it's still very heavily playing in UK. I really hope it does because it it's not even about South Asian culture or diversity or anything. It just, you know, sometimes when you, the story is not there, then you start noticing, you know, diversity, colors and all that stuff too much. But when the story is there, it just sinks in so well that you feel all that in one piece. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think it makes perfect sense. I think that's, that was sort of the goal of the film. It's, you know, again, loving all these reference points, watching, you know, Kill Bill, watching the fight sequences from Matrix, yeah. watching the fight sequences from Crouching Tiger. But at the end of the day, you know, Rhea is a 16-year-old girl who wants to be an aspiring stunt woman. So it was about how do you take that and make it less perfect? How do you take the wire work and sort of degrade it a little bit to bring it down because she fails so much on her journey? It is a bit like Neo. She keeps losing every fight and getting, you know, the yeah. shit kicked out of her and really like kind of ground that action. And that was sort of fundamental to how we approached the stunt work, how we approached the wire work, how we approached the actors doing the stunt work, you know, we really tried to make as much of the actors do the stunt work as possible because they added their own personality. You know, a lot of, you know, our stunt team was incredible, you know, just really, really talented stunt performers, but they're really talented. So it was kind of like taking that and turning it just a little bit to bring it back down to a teenage girl doing these moves and watching Priya train and having, you know, for me being a martial artist myself, watching her hit these kicks, hit these moves that can take a long time to understand, you know, she worked so hard and it just added to the fabric, I think of the movies, emotional storytelling that they they could do these and you know attest mm. to the stunt coordination and everything to kind of design the fights not to be the mm. most perfect it had to carry something else there to speak to the story and sure. uh, yeah yeah no absolutely was there ever a temptation despite being the cinematographer but also you know martial arts that something that she was doing was not accurate in terms of you know, I know they had like probably trainers on the set, but was were you ever tempted to say something? Um, you know, this is not how it should be or it could be better in terms of the martial you know, arts. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, I would like do a little move and one of the stunt people would be like, what's going on? <laughs> You're trying to take my job. <laughs> or I'd be like, oh, the kick isn't high enough or like the leg's not, you know, tilted enough. And... <clears throat> You know, once they knew that I was a black girl as well, you know, it was just kind of a joke on set. Um, okay, so they got used to it. <laughs> yeah, well, but like I could also say, know, know. you know, that kick wasn't right. Or, you know, you know, we talked about Haywire a lot, the oh. Soderbergh movie. And, you know, watching Gina perform and there's this fight between her and Fassbender and it's kind of like a five minute fight scene. And there's such a difference between watching somebody kick for a shot 
and watching somebody who can kick through a fucking wall. And she is somebody who, when she kicks, there's force behind it and there's an action behind it that implies that she has really done a full kick before. And so that was sort of where Nita and I would give, we could, we could see in the shot. It's like, no, there's a, you know, you have to go through it. Like you really mean it to make the action play out. And again, there is just one, I remember one kick in Haywire where she kind of steps through something and she just had this force behind it. And we'd kind of show that clip to be like, look at this force. There's force behind action. So it didn't look as pretty, I think. I think that that was something, make sure that it has the intentionality behind the kick that we really loved talking about on set. Okay. And was there, do you remember a scene that was probably one of the most difficult scenes to light um, that you guys kind of went over and over again? Oh, yeah. Uh, I talk about this one a lot. The library scene, there's a big library fight that we did on a location and most of the wire work we did on stage because you'd have to build it so the rigging could be present but our location department and production designer they had found this library at a girls school that was two floors and had basically 360 degrees of windows and it was just so unique. And basically the rigging team had come in and they were like, "There, it's high enough and we have space to build the rig above here. And it was just such a unique location that when I got presented it, I knew that it was going to be hard, but I was like, let's go for it. This is such a cool spot. And that place nearly killed me because we were shooting the last week, the last couple of days, right before Christmas holiday this is 2021, so Omicron was surging. Mm-hmm. And the way that we designed the week, we were going to shoot at this girls' school for the full week. And day one, we were going to do all the wides of the fight. We were like, okay, we have 50 background of all these teenage girls, and we'll do every wide shot where you can see the ceiling without the rigging. And... <laughs> So we did all these wides, all these big moves where they weren't the wire moves. And then we were going to go shoot in the school for two days and then come back after they built the rigs and finish the fight. So in that, in those few days, girls were going down left and right. Either they were testing positive for COVID or they were so nervous that they were going to test positive that they just stopped coming And by the time we got back to do the rest of the fight scene, I think we had 12 teenage girls for background and it was, and you know, it's winter in England. So we're shooting from darkness back into darkness. Yeah. And, you know, I have 18 K's outside on lifts that are helping to light, but then essentially as the sun went down, I just kept having to relight and we'd throw silks against the windows and blow out the windows. And we just had to keep shooting because there was so much fight to get through. It really was a learning experience where I was like, I should have said no to this location. 
I was blinded by the beauty of a circular library set. And it really does look great on camera, but it was a headache. It was a very challenging week for me. <laughs> well, you're glad you did it now in hindsight. I'm glad I did it. There was there were just moments where, you know, oh, I know. <laughs> I wear my emotions on my sleeve quite easily. So, you know, if I'm stressed out, you know, I'm just sitting in the corner like grabbing my hair and I think people would look over and I'd just kind of be like, "Oh no, how do I make this day?" Cuz that's the other thing England, which I love about England, and why I like working there, they don't really believe in overtime in the same way that Americans believe in overtime. So your day was your day. And there was this magic that would happen, or at least the producers would tell me in the final hour, 45 minutes to an hour last of the day, I'm running around just being like, we have to finish these shots because we don't get to come back. And we knew that we lost this location. We couldn't come back to the school. It was going to be Christmas break. So it was really, it was an intense and fun and uh, probably took like a couple of years off my life. <laughs> well, I think in order to produce, and I'm sure you agree with this, you know, something unique and something that affects people, you have to go through a lot of pain and suffering. Like that's just, that's just how life works. Um, had, had it been an easy path, it probably... Even if the film came out the way it did, you probably wouldn't have felt that good about it because, you know, after you work hard and the results come out, then you feel, okay, you know what, that that was totally worth it. So, Well, I um, think film sets just carry an energy and you can't replicate that energy. You can't yeah. replicate that feeling. It's why so many film people are weird freaks because we're a bit like circus people who thrive off of this unique environment and... I think that energy was just really present for a lot of the shoot. And, you know, it, it shows in the footage, I think it shows in the movie, how excited everybody was. And again, I think not every project that everyone works on is everyone feeling the same way, but people had so much care and love and Priya, you know, this was her first movie. Priya was just the best on set. She just brought a smile every day. She brought such positivity that it really enabled the crew to like come with so much positive energy. And I think you feel that in the movie. Lovely. And the film premiered at Sundance, right? Yeah. Was that your, were you there at the screening? I was there. I was there. So would it be, was it one of the most uh, memorable events of your life is it fair to say or was it up there still well this sounds like a brag or something but um no it shouldn't be the year the year i had the miseducation of cameron post and madeline's madeline um those premiered back to back so it's like i ran from the Eccles, which was totally sold out for cameron post straight to the library for madeline's madeline and that was a very unique That's and crazy. energetically uh, crazy day for me. So that, you know, Sundance always carries its own energy. And I think mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's why I love going to film festivals. It's why I'm a cinephilic person. It's why I watch movies. You know, you love right. that audience connection and that energy. 
and you know the polite premiere had that energy it just had like a buzz to it and that's what you're looking for when you know I always love watching movies I shoot with an audience I don't watch them again too much but uh I do love that initial feeling because then you feel the energy of a room. You get to hear the people laugh. You get to hear how they cheer. And, you know, Polite was so fun because they're, you know, Rahila is such a delicious villain. So when she gets kicked, when Rhea finally kind of succeeds, sure. it was so thrilling to watch that with an audience. And um, I actually had a, really special screening experience where these, you know, I babysat when I first moved to New York city, I babysat a lot. Um, and two, you know, one girl I had met when she was two years old, the other one I met, you know, when she was in the uterus <laughs> and I babysat them for a bunch of years and I brought them as teenage girls to go see polite society a couple weeks ago. And <coughs> it was so fun to watch the movie with teenage girls, you know, Sundance, it's not a teenage audience there. It's, you know, a bunch of older people, (laughs) film, film people. So to get to go back to the theater with these teenage girls, and there was a lot of teenage girls in the theater and watch it and everyone's cheering and laughing and they're laughing and they're scared. And, uh, that was really emotional for me to kind of see it through their eyes. And I was like, okay, we did it. Like it translates and it works and it's really fun. Watching it with a specific kind of an audience, I think not just any audience is just such a beautiful feeling. And then I think aside from that excitement, there's also that nervousness, like especially, you know, everybody who's worked on the film on the set, like from the director to um, writer to screen, um, uh, cinematographer to an editor, um, costume designer. Everybody is trying. Everybody knows these behind intricate detailed stories that nobody knows about when they're watching the film. And you know when you when certain moment comes and you're trying to wait how you know how the people would react the way they did in the set. And when they do that, it's such a beautiful feeling. Yeah, this one has been really mm-hmm. exciting. Just. Um... <laughs> not to talk uh, poorly of my other film work, um, but usually I no. make very experimental, very uh, difficult watches, very like challenging films. And to kind of have this one play, you know, my parents went and saw it and they called me after they were like, we understood it. We loved it. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. And I was like, no, it's a, a fun, enjoyable movie. It's really nice to kind of have a crowd pleaser in there. Um, and, you know, I love my strange experimental work, more challenging work, but uh, it doesn't always hit in the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, I, know, I know. I know. Those are, those are more for yourself, you know, um, uh, and small percentage of audience that do appreciate it. It's just like going to an art gallery, right? Like people, certain people appreciate certain amount of art and others just don't get it. So, but it's good that you got to get something to do with different and crowd pleaser because you need that, I think, to motivate yourself, to push yourself forward in, in life. No, it's really, it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun watching the reception of this movie. And I think, you know, 
I don't know where it sits financially as a success or not, but to me, it just has a lot of legs because I think this is a film that people haven't gotten to see. And I think it's something that is needed. And, you know, we need to see more characters like Lena and Rhea visualized on in media in general. So it's really thrilling to kind of add it to the landscape. I think it will do really, really well um, on streaming platforms. I think it will, especially in the South Asian market, um, it will, and obviously, you know, UK and North America, but South Asian market, it will do really, really well because it's, again, it's it's just, if somebody doesn't like the characters, not saying that they won't, there's all that visual presentation, right? Like that really pulls up audience in. But I really feel it's going to do really, really well. It's going to have strong legs. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of, I don't know how the film ends. I don't know how, if there's a potential of a spinoff or a sequel. But I, I feel if it does well, there might be something there. We laugh about a sequel. I mean, it would be so fun, but we laugh about a sequel. Like, uh, you know, we also love like, We're like, <laughs> <laughs> we're like Polite Society no. too. Tokyo, uh, like pitching all these narratives of what happens in the second movie would be really fun.